You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. And today, yes, we're going to talk about COVID. But before that, we're going to talk about something and someone that's very important to us. And that is Advances in Simulation, the Open Access Simulation Journal, and its new editor-in-chief, uh, Dr. Gabe Reedy. How are you, Gabe? I'm well, thanks. How are you, Vic? Good, good. I'm going to introduce you properly shortly, but before I do that, I actually just want to remind our Simulcast listeners about our collaboration with Advances in Simulation and remind you about the journal. So as I said, this is an open access simulation journal, and I'm just reading from the website here. Uh, it's designed to provide a forum to share scholarly practice to advance the use of simulation in the context of health and social care. And it is the uh, official journal of the Society for Simulation in Europe, CSAM. And Simulcast has had a collaboration with the journal over the last couple of years where we feature one of the articles every couple of months and uh, have a discussion with an author and maybe another discussant. And we've really enjoyed doing that. We feel like it's given Simulcast a little bit of academic credibility. Uh, but of note... They have a new editor-in-chief. We really enjoyed working with Dr. Deborah Nestel, who was the previous editor-in-chief, uh, but now she's been uh, succeeded by Dr. Gabriel Reedy. So, Gabe, uh, I could give you an introduction as a great friend of mine, but uh, probably our listeners want to know a little bit more bread and butter about you. Why don't you tell us about where you came from, how you got into SIM, and uh, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in publishing. Well, thanks, Vic. Um, and by the way, it's great to be here again. Um, always love uh, working with you and talking to uh, listeners uh, from Simulcast. So, um, so yeah, where where what's brought me here? It's an interesting question. I was talking to a friend the other day, and um, we were exploring kind of our career trajectories. And I thought it was funny how, uh, in retrospect. You can create a story that gets you to where you are, um, but actually the path can seem sometimes quite windy and uh, and 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 overgrown when you're when you're walking along it. But uh, how philosophical of you! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, apparently, so that's the thing about my uh, my background. I'm a doctor of philosophy, so when my uh, when anyone asks if there's a doctor on the plane, um, I definitely don't put my hand up because I'm. 100% not the doctor that they want. Um, I'm a psychologist by background. So my kind of training and all my focus uh, of my research is in uh, a sort of subfield of, of psychology called the learning sciences. And the focus of my work um, historically has been, I'm really interested in how people learn in different settings and different environments um, and uh, early on in my career, I kind of uh, focused on how professionals learn to do what they do and how we can support and train them better. Now, uh, as a physician, you know, um, and our, our healthcare colleagues know, it's very, um, it's very unique in healthcare, the degree to which um, there's a kind of combination of formal training in university environments and, and on-the-job training uh, actually in clinical practice. And so um, my career kind of moved into healthcare relatively early on for that reason. I was fascinated by the ways that we um, kind of create these opportunities for people to learn and, and to prepare themselves uh, for the real worlds of clinical practice. 
Um, so relatively early on, I, I kind of, my first career before I went back and, and, and did my postgraduate work was in the technology industry. And so I kind of had that, this sort of thing on my CV, um, that said, oh, you, you know, you worked in software. I got the label as a technology guy. Uh, so people would, um, kind of say, oh, there's this great new technology or there's this great new web-based, um, learning approach. Can you have a look at it? Uh, and so someone called me one day and said, um, hey, uh, I've just been contacted by um, some folks in the uh, medical school, and they have uh, an amazing new mannequin that they want to use for training, but they have absolutely no idea how to design anything around it or to evaluate how it's used. Um, is that something you'd be interested in? Well, um, I could sort of barely contain myself uh, with excitement and um, made contact with my my colleagues there at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital in, in central London. And uh, that was the beginning of my uh, work in simulation, um, which has been uh, an amazing um, sort of trajectory over the last decade or so. Um, yeah, and sort of Kind of interesting, really, given that you came from psychology, but then you were the technology guy. Uh, that's often not the trajectory that we think about those of you who come from educational or psychology backgrounds. So, yeah, I, I started exploring the um, with colleagues at uh, GSTT. We sort of established the sales center, um, which had uh, uh, did quite a lot of interesting and innovative work for a number of years at Guy's and St. Thomas's, um, looking at kind of new and interesting ways that we could use simulation to um, to train, but also to um, develop uh, kind of new ways of thinking about um, simulation. So, um, so that's been a that's been a f- fantastic. Um, uh, collaboration and uh, some great work that we've we've done over the last several years. So, you know, you've been involved at the faculty development level, obviously mm. the delivery of education and design, I suppose, of educational programs with that kind of learning science background. So as you said, um, I do a lot of work with faculty development. So helping my colleagues who are simulation instructors to do to, to use some of those principles um, and learning theories to help support what they do and refine and improve what they do. Um, I also do quite a lot of debriefing. So um, I, I enjoy debriefing and I, I, um, I find it to be uh, one of those things that is, uh, I mean, the, the kind of still emerging research base on debriefing shows it's, you know, it's a pretty important part of the simulation learning experience. Uh, and so I enjoy both kind of doing debriefing and conducting debriefing, supporting my colleagues doing it and, and studying it as well. So we've got a program of, of, of work that's looking at um, debriefing and some of the ways in which um, we, we can understand more about that process. But we're also, uh, I've been working for the last about four or five years, and it's quite appropriate now Um to mention, I've been working for the last four or five years on a project with Public Health England, which is our, our public health uh, agency in the in the UK, on the ways in which we use various forms of simulation um, and training exercises to prepare and support people 
who are on the front lines of public health emergencies. And so some of that work um, has been largely focused around uh, um, terrorism and um, the potential for kind of chemical threats and, and, um, and biological weapons. Um, but a lot of the work that we have been doing has been really useful. Now we're finding with um, public health emergencies such as uh, uh, disease outbreaks and and now pandemic. So, um, so we're, yes. we're, we're interested in how, you know, how these, uh, how simulation can be used to support and help um, and develop um, our colleagues to be more prepared yeah. for um, and engage with the pandemic in, in different ways. Yeah. All right. Well, before we come back to the pandemic, let's talk about advances in simulation then. Uh, so give us a sense of, you've obviously been a an academic yourself, done plenty of publishing, reviewing, uh, but I know you've then been involved on editorial boards and now as the editor-in-chief. Give us a little sense of you know, how you think about the role of publishing and then maybe transition on to what you hope to achieve as the editor-in-chief of Advances in Simulation. I'm so pleased, uh, first of all, to, to be able to, um, to serve in, in the role of editor-in-chief for Advances. It's a fantastic um, outlet, I think. And it's unique in the um, simulation world uh, in being an open access publication. Academic journals and publications in academic journals are not just the currency of the academic world. So as, a, as an academic, in order to progress in my field, in order to um, you know, participate in the international community of um, knowledge in the field, I have to publish my work in, in academic journals. That's the expectation. But I think the flip side of that is that the reason that we in academic journals exist and, and, and the role we serve in the community is to make sure that the evidence that we have and the evidence we generate gets out there to continually build the science and to make sure that people around the world are able to access the latest, uh, the latest evidence to support their work and to help them not just do what they're already doing in, in a, in a more grounded, uh, more evidence-informed way, but also to help um, build those those building blocks of of science as the as the science progresses. You're listening to Simulcast. The interesting thing about simulation, of course, is that it's this hybrid of um, we've got one foot in the academic world. And we've got the other foot in the kind of practical world of um, training in clinical practice. And so I think journals like ours have a really important role to play in helping to bridge those two. You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. To sort of summarize that, Gabe, what you're saying is the journals clearly have got a role to support the community of practice by providing a sort of rigorous and peer-reviewed approach but in an open access journal, you can also make that widely available, the expertise and the guidance that people are looking for. Can I push you then a little bit? Because obviously every editor is going to bring a certain style and a certain flavour to their role. Uh, where do you th see things going in terms of the balance of different simulation topics uh, or other flavours that you think you'd like to bring in? Yeah, um, I I think that's a really good question. So the 
direction that I, I mean, first of all, the, the, the basis that we're working from in advances is pretty strong. Um, Deborah Nestel is a, an absolutely amazing simulation scholar. And, and as the founding editor in chief of the journal, she's, she's really done, uh, quite a, quite an amazing job of, of setting the journal up for, uh, for success. And, um, you know, the, the, the direction that the journal has gone in in the last few years in its first in its first few years has really been um, around pushing our thinking uh, and really living the title right so pushing our thinking in terms of what constitutes simulation and, and where we're going with both the evidence and the kind of innovation in simulation. Uh, so I'm really interested in continuing that, um, and I'm thinking uh, about um, how we how we really live the the title advances in simulation, um, how we advance the field, how we take what we already know and uh, and push our collective thinking and push our collective practice forward. So a lot of the work that you and colleagues have been doing in translational simulation is a is a really good example of that. Moving out of the kind of thinking of simulation solely as an educational intervention uh, and pushing us to help think about how we continually refine uh, and develop our processes and our uh, our approach to patient safety. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the work that we've been doing in preparation for public health emergencies is quite similar. Uh, so even though a lot of people participate in simulation exercises and simulation activities, really the goal is to stress test the entire system. So that's a, a kind of an example of an approach to simulation that has been um, working for a while, but we often don't think of it in the context of healthcare simulation that we we work in. So pushing our thinking along those lines. And I guess I just had a little query there because I suppose one of the strategic things is uh, how much do you concentrate simulation expertise amongst simulation people versus making sure that we reach that audience that's a little wider of either educators or clinicians. And I guess that's always a little bit of a tension when you get, it's a bit like having a dedicated simulation conference, isn't it? Are you actually getting the right people there or should we be integrating more with craft groups and others? Yeah, and so one of the things we're, we're trying to do within the context of the journal is reaching out to and, and thinking about how we could potentially have um, cross series that work across different journals that sort of speak to the role of simulation um, in the bigger picture. Um, so advances in simulation is part of uh, the BMC group and Springer Nature um, is our publisher. So we have the opportunity to branch out a little bit and, and think about ways in which um, we can do, for instance, thematic series that run across different publications um, and where uh, the work that we're doing can be more easily integrated into other ways of thinking and other ac sort of academic uh, approaches, which I'm really excited about. And, and, and we're, we're thinking about ways that we can do that. Sounds good. So uh, let's get back to COVID then. Uh, 
there's been a lot on social media about COVID. There's been a lot of chit-chat with um, people who have existing collaborations and many journals, and I've certainly noticed with clinical journals, there's a great wealth of information being published rapidly and in real time. Uh, How do you see journals in general, and then we'll come back to advances specifically, but how do journals in general fit into this uh, COVID preparation and, and in fact, not even preparation, but into supporting the COVID uh, pandemic work across the board? I think journals have a huge role to play, um, not least because in the midst of a crisis, there's a lot of anecdotal information flowing around. And it's really unclear sometimes what is information that we can trust and count on and what information is um, is maybe just emerging and perhaps data that it isn't fully sort of thought through. So I think the difficulty that we have is that by its very nature, the the process of um, rigorous research and peer review of that research, that takes time. So how do we do that in the context of a crisis and also meet the needs of the communities uh, around the world, which are in various stages of preparation for and dealing with, as you say, dealing with this pandemic? So you see some of the journals who are doing rapid review processes. We're certainly trying to do that. We've got the the first um, rapid review piece on COVID and simulation that's going to be coming out very shortly um, in the journal. In fact, uh, by the time your listeners hear this, it will probably be um, published in the journal. Um, I think the other thing that we have to do um, is retain some... Uh, sense of um, rigor and retain the academic integrity of the review process as we go through even in the midst of crisis. And that means what we have to do is um, those of us who do have a bit more uh, time and energy to um, who may be in some of the earlier phases of the process, or like myself, I'm not a clinician. And so I'm not in at the moment in um, you know, stretched to the limit in terms of my, um, my capacity. Um, some of my, some of my other academic colleagues have a bit of free cycles as well. So we can do some of that peer review and, and make sure some of that rigor is in place around the data and help our clinical colleagues with collecting data, collating data, making sure that, um, well, and reporting innovations and innovative approaches sort of as they emerge, which I think is another, uh, another sort of um, important thing that we can do. Um, so Advances has a category of publication that is called Innovations. Um, and, and, uh, and this is a place where I think it's ideal for people to um, bring together resources that have been helpful to them, that they're developing and designing specifically for um, the situations that are emerging in the pandemic. And we can review and get those published in a relatively quick way so that those are available for colleagues around the world um, to use. And they can have a sense that these have, uh, you know, these publications have, um, there is some rigor there. There is the peer review process. Um, and so these are, uh, you know, there's some, there's some scientific weight behind, uh, behind these innovations. Uh, they're not just sort of, um, 
potentially useful resources um, that may be sort of uh, people are people are throwing around. And I do notice that ethics committees are coming to the party around the place as well. And I think people have got a lot of uh, enthusiasm for trying to expedite processes without necessarily decreasing quality. Uh, That's a nice segue into, or you've already alluded to the fact that you're interested in manuscripts. And I know you've made a fairly specific call for them for advances. Uh, You've said there's a category of innovations, but what kind of things do you think you're looking for and what do you hope that they'll achieve? Um, well, so the kinds of things we're looking for are, uh, and actually they, they run the gamut really from, um, from uh, new um, simulation programs that help to rapidly ramp staff up um, in, for instance, processes that they may not be familiar with, uh, right through to, um, you know, reports of... Um, programs that people are putting in place to um, engage in debriefing of staff after clinical incidents um, to um, reports of new ways of uh, modeling um, progression or um, modeling physiology to help us understand more about um, the pandemic. So I think, I think we're really kind of open um, and any um, any innovations that will help support the global um, healthcare community as we uh, as we um, kind of emerge into and deal with this pandemic, I think uh, we'd be really, really happy to see um, all of the stuff that you and I see uh, and your your listeners see floating around on uh, social media. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of those resources could be so useful uh, if they were subjected to a bit of review and scrutiny and, um, and made stronger uh, and, and developed. So we'd like to see anybody who um, is able to, to bring some of those, um, bring some of those resources and innovations together and, uh, and, and, and let's see about getting them published uh, so that the community can access them um, and, and use them. Um, yeah, yeah, so I think I think that's, clear that's what that. we'll, yeah. I think the other thing that will emerge out of the pandemic that is um, that that I'm excited about actually, um, if I can if I can say that we're at we're at sort of an early stage, and I feel like this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. But I think one of the things that will emerge is we'll start thinking a little bit differently about some of the methodologies that we use and some of the methodological uh, approaches. And also some of the research methods that we use to help us think about simulation and, and simulation innovation. Um, so it's it's not just the 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 stuff that we're doing now, um, but for instance, uh, I've been working with colleagues, uh, and some of your listeners may have seen this in the news, but um, in London we're setting up a, a, a massive field hospital in an exhibition center in uh, in London. To support ex- exclusively patients who are um, needing intensive care uh, because of COVID, so um, we're we're upskilling a, a, a massive number of people in sort of basic ICU um, nursing skills and uh, and 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 in in basic ICU kind of concepts, so that they can support those who are fully trained in ICU. Um, who can perhaps look after a number of patients um, with some support. So 
you know, what kinds of approaches, what kinds of methods do we use to create a kind of tiered patient care system, which is a, a new way of, uh, you know, a different way of thinking about how do we support patient care? And, and it's developed and emerged just in the, in the needs that are present there in the moment. We have to, we have to support these patients. Um, so how do we train and, yeah. and, and develop people to do that? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think, you know, there's always going to be silver linings despite what is clearly not a lot of silver linings in the COVID pandemic. But some of the ones that are there is I think it is really forcing us to see about what's important, uh, what is necessary and what we do and encouraging us to reflect on uh, some things that we really shouldn't be doing, whether it's pandemic or not. And I certainly know from the experience of reshaping a lot of our clinical care pathways the commonest statement I've heard out of our healthcare professionals' mouths is, why don't we do this all the time? And so I do think uh, we're going to see uh, uh, some benefits out of this experience. All right. Well, Gay Breedy, it's been a pleasure to talk to you again. Uh, we wish you well as the Editor-in-Chief of Advances in Simulation, and we're looking forward to in continuing our simulcast collaboration. Uh, for those of you who want to, who haven't before gone onto the website, please make sure you do. Uh, that's Advances in Simulation. Uh, is the name of the journal, and you can just Google that. And if you come up with the homepage, you'll now see a beautiful picture of Gabe there with a little bit of a profile of him as the new editor. And you'll also find the uh, submission guidelines for authors where it's got a bit more detail about if you do want to submit an innovation or a commentary or any of the other categories related to COVID-19 or indeed anything else because uh, that's not the only thing, although it feels like it right now. Uh, Gabe, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Vic, and I'm looking forward to working with you and the Simulcast team over the, over the coming months and years. Yes, I'm looking forward to that too. All right, Simulcast listeners, I'm Victoria Brazel signing off. You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation.